Christ above us, Christ below us, Christ before us, Christ behind us, Christ beside us, Christ within us. Amen. Please be seated. You will be betrayed by your parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends. They will execute some of you. Everyone will hate you because of my name. Still not a hair on your heads will be lost. By holding fast, you will gain your lives. Not exactly words of comfort. Scary words, even, for us. Who knew that the community that wrote the Gospel of Luke had the makings of best-selling dystopic fiction writers? People who wrote novels about a, a horrific future. Back in Jesus' day, you might have witnessed any number of the horrors that you would read about in a book like The Hunger Games, a well-known and best-selling dystopic fiction book. People trampled under the hooves of a horse or, or beaten to death by thugs, neighbors dragged away by soldiers or disappeared in the night, marauders burning villages, famine, poverty, slavery. Right now, the hottest-selling fiction books for people between 12 and 25, and quite a few in their 40s as well, right now, is dystopic fiction. I love these books because they usually have as their protagonist a plucky young hero or heroine who, for some reason, decides in the book to stand up against an oppressive government or an oppressive power against, against great odds, and who usually somehow uh, endures and pulls it out and succeeds. The central hero of The Hunger Games is Katniss Everdeen. She takes on an empire called the Capitol. Now, the Capitol, which is probably an analog for ancient Rome and some people say is an analog for the United States, is a city that lives in great luxury at the expense of others. And what has happened is the United States has been conquered somehow and turned into this, this place that supports this capital. And there's 12 districts that support the capital that work in, in, in slavery to support them. Katniss comes from the district that produces coal, and there's one that makes luxury items, and soldiers produces soldiers and food and manufactured items. And these districts slave away um, under captivity to produce the goods for the capital, so they can live in hedonism in the capital. Katniss is no leader, really. She's just a brave, passionate kid who's handy with a bow and arrow. And she loves her family more than anything because Katniss' sister is chosen for these Hunger Games. Every year they put all the, uh, the children, a, a boy and a girl, between 12 and 18 in a big fishbowl, and they choose a boy and a girl from each district to fight in these Hunger Games for the entertainment of the people in the capital in an effort to keep the districts down and under the capital's power. And Katniss chooses her sister's place when she's chosen. And by her wit and by her skill and by her cunning, and but most of all by her endurance and by her holding fast, Katniss triumphs. I don't know about you, 
but I don't have the, the pluck and the skill with a bow and arrow, certainly not the endurance of a Katniss Everdeen or any number of heroes in these dystopic books. I am just not that tough. I have a short attention span and a low tolerance for pain, and I don't like being uncomfortable. Given all the options, sometimes I, I tend to opt for being comfortable rather than heroic or righteous. Probably comes as no surprise to any of you that Mother Teresa or Mohandas, Mahatma Gandhi or Jesus Christ, I am not. No surprises there. But who could endure what Katniss endured or what Jesus is describing on this day? Jesus on this day is standing in what would have been the holiest of places. According to ancient historians, it was covered in gold and jewels. The temple was truly the symbol of God's presence on earth for Jews. It was heaven on earth for the faithful. It was a place that, that to them could have withstood anything. The center of their universe. There he is, he's standing there telling them that not only would that center be wiped out, but that the real center of their lives, the family, the family would, would turn against them. And Jesus in this gospel is, is already, he's talking of a dystopia that's already happened to the Jews. By the time the gospel of Luke uh, was read and was written, the temple had been destroyed, so people who were hearing this gospel and reading this gospel would have experienced what Jesus is talking about today. Many of them would have been betrayed by parents, brothers and sisters and relatives and friends. Many Christians were executed and hated because of Jesus' name. But Jesus tells them that, that, that they're going to be saved by holding fast or, or by enduring so what of this endurance? I mean, we can read the last line of this gospel as Jesus cheerleading us all just to, to work harder or to suck it up or to, or to be brave so we can be saved. I don't know about you, but, but when I've been in crisis, when I've been in pain, when I've, when I've witnessed destruction or chaos, the last bit of advice I want from somebody is endure. When we're going through a, a horrible time, having someone say to us, endure or hang in there is not just that helpful. And I don't think that was what Jesus meant. See, endurance for followers of Christ is not just this, this innate trait or, or this thing that we are to aspire to or to work towards. No. Endurance that Jesus is talking about is, is a two-way relationship with God. See, to the people reading this gospel who had already suffered these things, what had brought them to that day was not luck or pluck or toughness, but relationship with a God whose love was enduring. Indeed, they had endured, but God had endured with them, ever present throughout the convulsions of empire and history that they'd experienced. Jesus calls his followers today and he calls us towards a new orientation, towards a new way of considering the future in the midst of uncertainty, a new way of seeking strength and courage and salvation in the midst of destruction and terror. 
something that an ancient Jew would have been very familiar with. Steadfast faithfulness. It's a word that in, in Hebrew is, was as common as any. Hesed. Steadfast, steadfast faithfulness. Steadfast faith, faithfulness meant that, that throughout all things, endurance happened not through piety or adherence to law or being good, but happened because of God's care for us. Jesus does tell them that not one hair on their head will be harmed. But I don't think any of us believe that not one, on, one head on our hair is going to be harmed. And, and, and we are going to escape the inevitable stupidity of humanity that, that may fall upon us. Because we live in a broken world. But see, Jesus is telling us today that, that the things we love, the places that we hold on to, even the relationships and the people that we love and hold on to are not where we ultimately find relationship with God or security. Jesus is telling us of a new way. Good news of a God who is steadfastly faithful and for us and with us. And in this good news, in this good news, we have a path. We have a path even in pain and destruction to be joyful. We have even in the face of death a way to find resurrection and new life. We may face all manner of chaos and destruction and death, hopefully not dystopia. But we have in this God we worship, we witnessed in Christ, hope of a love that endures not just in the present, but through all time. We endure not just because we have endurance, but because God endures with us.